Thank you guys so much for coming out uh, to celebrate uh, the Lord Jesus tonight. Uh, the last crowd was a little slow, so you're ready to go? All right, all right. Because this is it. Fourth time, so we're just going to lay all the cards on the table. We're just going to go for it, all right? Listen, when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people ask, why? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did he have to make that incredible statement? And Max Lucado says it this way, so that you and I would never have to. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to celebrate today. Bob Goff, I love what Bob Goff writes about the resurrection. He said Satan thought he had won. He's, he has beaten Jesus. He's, he's seen that he got whipped and scourged and the blood is everywhere. The cross has happened. Jesus is dead. And Bob Goff said, and heaven just started counting to three. And that's what we're here to celebrate today, the resurrection three days later. Now listen, here's my message. If you're a guest today, I'm so glad that you're here. Here's what I promised you from the time this service started till you're back in your car one hour and ten minutes. So you're not going to get trapped here. Uh, you don't have to worry how crazy this is going to get. Not going to happen, okay? Three times, this is four, I'm tired. So we're going we're, uh, we're to get you out of here on time, I, I promise. Uh, but I'm going to ask you a question first. Now, some of you can't lie because it's pretty obvious. But how many of you wear glasses? Just keep your hands up. Hey, we've determined that this weekend, if we'd all lived 500 years ago, we'd have been like groping around on the ground. It would have been a really bad deal. Keep your hands up. Now, if you are like the mystery people and you're wearing contacts, would you join these hands? All right. Perhaps you've had Lasix, therefore you don't need either, but you still have eye problems. All right. I'd like to thank each and every one of you because you're the only ones that paid to see me. Thank you. <laughs> People ask me, why do you tell jokes? I'm going to tell you why I tell jokes, because the world is really rotten. And I want you to come in. If I can get somebody to smile and laugh and then give you the hope of Jesus, I just feel like we've really made progress. But just in case, because sometimes you guys are really cruel to me. So, so this week, I went out and bought myself a hyena, so somebody will always be laughing at me. All right, one more. A guy came up to me this week and said, what do you know about bonsai trees? I said, very little. <laughs> All right, shall we go to work? <clears throat> All right. So the resurrection story is mentioned five, five times, really. I mean, it's all throughout the New Testament, but five major times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write biographies of Jesus' life. Each from a little bit of a different angle, their angle, their perspective. And to the people they were writing to, they emphasize different things. That's why when you read John, it reads a little differently when you read Matthew, because one's writing to Greek people, one's writing to Jewish people. So they emphasize different things. And the fifth gospel is Paul in the Romans and 1 Corinthians, where Paul explains the gospel again, so you get Paul's version of it. But we're going to look at Mark's today. And you know my statement, don't ever trust a preacher. All right? He's got nothing that you don't have. 
The power is in the authority of the Word of God. Don't ever forget that. It's not in a pastor. It's not in a church. It's not in a board. It's not in a bishop. The power is in God's Word, and God's Word always points you back to Jesus. All right? So that's that's what we're going to focus on. But we're going to look at Mark's story today because Mark is to the point. Paul takes chapters. Matthew and Luke take a whole chapter. Mark, eight verses. Bam. There it is. This ain't hard, boys. Jesus died. Jesus raised from the dead. His death, his gruesome death, proves that he was man. And the resurrection proves that he's God. What more do you people need? That's kind of how Mark approaches it. So if you'll stand with me, out of respect for God's word, we will tackle these eight verses. When the Sabbath was over, after Jesus has been crucified, he's put in the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. They asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling, terrified, and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were terrified. Father, as we open up this passage, would you speak to us today? Speak clearly to us. May your Holy Spirit convict us, change us, motivate us, draw us close. Whatever you need to do today, do your work, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. You can be seated. A special welcome to all of you watching online again. Um, so far, we've already had six people accept Jesus and be baptized. We, we're so so pleased with that. Uh, Palm Bay and Deland are having baptisms today. Uh, the Chinese service is meeting backstage. They're having three baptisms when they finish their service today. Just a lot of great things that are going on. But in this passage, the what grabbed me, and I've I've been doing this. I've been, this is my thirty first Easter that I've been preaching, and as I was. Looking at this passage, what jumped out at me is the emotions. Never paid attention to that before. I'm not a very emotional person. I'm pretty flat. I'm the guy you call when there's a crisis because I usually don't get too worked up. I don't get emotional unless it's like a baseball movie or you know something, <laughs> something of that nature. I'm I'm really pretty low key. And um, but in this passage, it's nothing but raw emotions. And the first, thing, the, first, the first emotion is that of grief. And these women have to face grief. Now, let me explain something to you. In the first century world, if you're trying to posit a lie, you're making this whole story up, as some people say, that the whole Jesus thing's made up, the resurrection thing's made up. Let me assure you, neither Roman nor Jewish culture would you have three women be your eyewitnesses. Because their word would have meant nothing. You would have had the men at the tomb. Do you know where the men are? Ladies, where's your husband usually when you can't find him? He's asleep. That is exactly correct. 
They're sound asleep. They're terrified back in the upper room. The three women, they get up early. They got all kinds of problems. They're going to anoint Jesus' body, but there's two large Roman guards that are standing guard. And there's a stone. Now, let me help you with this stone. The stone, you could not reach across it. It's eight or ten feet across, and it's about that thick. And it rolls through a chamber. And the idea is that nobody gets in and nobody gets out. Five or six of the strongest guys in this room could never possibly move those stones. That's how heavy they were. And they're all over Jerusalem. If you go there today, there, you can drive down a highway and you'll be like, oh, there's, there's a gravestone right there. And it's not when you think of a gravestone in our culture. So they head out early in the morning with a plan to anoint Jesus, but they got Roman guards that are not going to let them in and they got a stone they can't move. And these women go out and they got to be sobbing and crying and their noses are running and This is the most horrible day of their life. Because they thought they'd found the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Even though he told them, I'll be back in three days. All they know is the one that they were sure was the answer to their problems. The answer to mankind's problem, he's dead. And they're forced to face grief. Now I'd say probably half of you in this room are in the same boat. Whether you're dealing with grief in the traditional sense of death, with all the normal stuff that goes on and then COVID and everything else that's been happening in our society and not being able to get to funerals that we'd like to get to. And, and then you've got, maybe it's a grief of a marriage or grief of a job. And there's so many, so many things that can play out here, but you have, at some point in your life, you got to face grief. And the only answer to that grief is to know that the one you put your hope in walked out of the grave. That there is an answer beyond this world. And without that hope, I don't know what people do. So the reason I'm here today is to help you. Because if you don't know Jesus, I don't want you to leave here without him. If you're online, there's a button. I've decided if you're here, you just come up front. There'll be people up here who will pray with you to answer questions. They'll counsel you and help you become a follower of Jesus. Because I'm just going to tell you straight up, all right? Acts 4.12 says there's only one name under heaven by which you must be saved. This doesn't fit the modern culture very well. What's his name? Only one name under heaven by which we must be saved And that's the name of Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, there are 4,200 religions in the world, and only one of them has an empty grave, my friends. Only one of them has an empty grave. And there are about 3 billion people around the world right now celebrating what we're celebrating. 3 billion people because those three ladies went to the tomb and they found it empty. They were willing to face their own grief. And it's tough. It's really tough when you're facing grief. I don't like being vulnerable, but for a moment I will be. Two weeks ago when I was in St. Louis, my, uh, I went up to see some family. My dad's in the hospital, and we didn't know it was serious any more than the other 800 times he's been in the hospital. And they're, they're watching this, so they're aware of what I'm about to say. But um, nobody would tell us anything. And... We keep getting the runaround, and finally we get a doctor to come talk to us, and my sister and I are talking, and he says, has no one been honest with you? And we said, honest? Nobody's even talked to us. We'd just be thrilled if somebody would tell us anything. And this wonderful man from Jordan, 
looked at me and said, Joe, your dad has three months to live. You need to make the most of it. Hmm. So my brother and my sister and I walk into a room and we, of course, lose it. We're all sitting there crying and processing. And, and they voted that I should tell mom and dad. You got to like that, right? They're handling other things, but I got voted the spokesman. I'm the oldest. So we walk back into the room and, you know, they know we're out talking to the doctor. Dad says, so what's up? I said, well, Dad, I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to sugarcoat that, right? I said, well, Dad, the doctor says you got three months. And uh, neither one of them can hear anything. So he's like, what? <laughs> I said, Dad, you only got three months left. We need to figure out how to make the most of this. Mom's losing it. She's falling apart. My sister's holding her, crying. My brother's crying. I'm not yet. I'm holding it together. Now, you think I'm stoic? <clears throat> you should meet Bob Pudding. Bob's laying there in the bed. Doesn't say a word. Everybody's carrying on, crying. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? And Dad looks at us and says, Well, I guess I'll go on to glory and I'll see you guys when you get there. <laughs> now... <clears throat> That's when the oldest son came apart, okay? Just so you'll, just so you'll know, he does not have a, a, a total heart of stone. Um, but man, if you don't have that hope, if you don't have that hope, I mean, I know, what's my dad processing? During that five minutes, he's processing his life. Am I ready to die? Am I ready for eternity? Am I ready to meet Jesus? And he knew he was. Been following Jesus since he was a little boy. He knew. He's the one that put me in the position that I'm in today. And he was ready. But the question is, are you? And if you are, how about your children, your grandchildren, your aunts, your uncles, your moms, your dads? That's why the church does what it does. You want to know why we take up offerings? Because there are millions of people around the world that don't know Jesus yet. Offering buckets are in the back. You want to know why we're supporting the people in Ukraine? Because A, they need help, and B, they need Jesus. That box is out at guest services. So far, this church has sent $130,000 to Ukraine. So, thank you guys. And I just found out in between services that we had a Ukrainian refugee from Odessa that was in the service. And I wish I would have got to, to meet her, but I'll meet her this week. Um, but, listen... We're not just, we're very careful where we send our money because we're not just buying food and clothes and, and, and medicine because here, here's some food and here's a shirt. Now have a good life in hell. We want to make sure they get food and medicine and clothes and we want to tell them about Jesus. We want to give them that hope because the only way to get past grief and to face grief is to know there's a hope on the other side. John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Actually, it's plural. You will have troubles. But don't worry. Why? Because I've overcome the world. What an incredible passage. What an incredible passage. So they had to face grief, but they also had to face terror. They get to the tomb. Their biggest problem, the Roman guards and the stone are gone. But they walk into the tomb and they run into an angel. This they were not prepared for. A man who's glowing in white. And if your idea of an angel is some guy floating around with a harp made of cotton, 
you do not understand the warrior position that these angels have. In, in uh, the Old Testament, there's a, a, a time when one angel wiped out 185,000 of the most powerful men in the Assyrian army. And not only does the Bible confirm that story, but the Assyrian history confirms it as well. They don't talk about the angel because they don't know how they got wiped out. They just know their entire army was wiped out in one night in Jerusalem when there was no army fighting against them. It's an interesting read from the Assyrian side. So these angels are some bad dudes. So when you encounter them, you're going to be frightened. And I love it because anytime you see that in scripture, it says they were frightened. And then the angel says, well, don't be frightened. Well, of course I'm frightened. What else would I be? So whatever it was, they saw on the pin light they're looking at. It was magnificent. And then he said, listen, the Jesus you're looking for, and just in case somebody was you know, trying to be dumb, which they always are, the Jesus of Nazareth, just we'll make sure we get the address if you want it. He's not here. He's been raised from the dead. But come with me. I'll show you where he laid. Now, that's interesting. Let me help you with that. You may be more familiar with Egyptian tombs because you're used to seeing like the, the King's Valley and you see the, all the antechambers and you got this guy buried here. It's kind of like that, but on a, on a smaller scale. So you walk in to a first century Jewish sepulcher and there's basically two rooms. All right? It's going to sound a little weird, but every culture is weird. So just walk with it. Okay? The first room you go into is the family room. And the family would go there, and that's where the family would eat. That's where the potluck would happen. All right? Not a whole lot different from church. That's where the egg salad was. You get, you get the idea, right? So that is the outside room, and the family would be there maybe not just now. They may come back for days and weeks and months and maybe years to remember their ancestors and, and to celebrate. Then you go through a door, and then there's the second room, and that is the grave room. And the body would have been laid on a bench. And basically how it worked, it's a little gruesome, but they lay you on the bench. And when they come back a couple years from now, uh, you're all gone, and except your bones. And they take your bones and put them in a box. You don't take up as much space. They put the box away. And now when Uncle Bob dies, we got a place to lay him. Okay? I'm just telling you, that's how a family sepulcher works. So the angel's sitting in the family room, and he says, Would you like to see where he was? Now remember, they're terrified, they're shocked, they're... Okay, so they go in, and the other gospel story said all of the grave clothes were folded neatly and laid down. Now that's an interesting story. Because some people, the Romans said, tell them they stole the body. Well, if you stole the body, would you have taken time to unwrap all the wrappings and folded them up really nice? I don't think so. But Jesus wasn't even in a hurry when he left the grave. If you don't know this teaching, I, I could spend, we could do this by itself, but we don't have time. So, in Jewish culture, if you go to a Passover dinner, when you're eating, when you are eating the meal and you're going to excuse yourself and then come back, you take everything and you fold it a certain way and you lay it down. And that tells the server... I'm coming back. When you're done, you take it and you just throw your napkin down. Now, they just had Passover two days earlier. So they're very much aware of this Passover event. And so when they walk into that room where Jesus was, and what do they see? 
they see everything folded up neatly, signifying what? I'll be back. I'll be back. And they know it. And so now they leave the tomb and they're what? They're terrified. Listen, this is real. And it's not, we could talk about certainly Ukraine and the atrocities and what's going on in China right now. Oh my gosh. Uh, the disasters. I mean, there's dozens of countries where this is playing out right now. Just one horror story after the other. But terror is terror. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever it is that, that has got you by the tail, the anxiety or the depression, that terror is, is so real and the women are stunned by it. But I want you to hear the words again. And Peter says it this way. Peter says, but even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. So do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. So even when the church was under the worst persecution, when the worst things were happening to them, the message is, don't be frightened. Face it. Face your fears because you have an answer beyond this world. Jesus said it this way. All man can do is hurt the body. Your soul is what is eternal. That's what we hold on to. Now this is going to sound strange for some of you that are 30 and under. But those of us that are older... We used to do a thing on Sunday afternoon. Old people, help me here. We used to go for drives. Yes? Now, you, you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. You're like, where are we going? Yeah, we're not going anywhere. We're going for a drive. No, no, gas is 4.25 a gallon. We ain't driving nowhere. No, we're going for a drive. And we would wander around the county. And sometimes we would stop and pick blackberries. Sometimes we, in the fall we would stop and pick walnuts off the ground. Uh, and if it really been a good week, we'd have an ice cream cone before we went home. Come on, am I, am I telling the truth? But you young people, you don't, know, you don't know anything about this. You don't have a clue. You get in the car, you're going somewhere. We're going to Chick-fil-A. We're going to Burger King. We're going to get sushi. We're going to do something. You don't just ride around. Here's the problem. A lot of churches and a lot of Christians are just riding around. We're in a war, guys. What's going on in Russia, okay? It is about Russia and Ukraine. There's no question. But if you miss the fact that there's a spiritual war going on between good and evil, if you miss the fact that Satan is running out of time and he's coming after the church with everything he's got, you're missing what's happening with the sexual stuff that's going on in our culture and the crazy, all the crazy stuff that's happening in our society. And that's why you and I need Jesus so that we don't have to be terrified of the world and we don't have to be afraid of grief because we know there's an answer beyond this mess. Then we face the last part. We face the unbelievable. And I love this. So, the tomb's open. The rock's gone. The Romans are gone. Angel's there. Grave's empty. Jesus is gone. They're stunned. This can't be happening. Even though Jesus told them it was going to be happening. Now, where are the boys at this point? They're still asleep. Still asleep. So eventually, it says in verse 9, eventually the women came to themselves and they ran to get the guys. And they woke the guys up and they told them, you're not going to believe this. And you know what they did? They didn't believe it. That's exactly right. 
They said, ah, you've lost your mind. And this goes on repeatedly. Later on, a group of disciples are like, no, we don't believe it. And then Thomas, I won't believe it unless I can put my own hand inside the wounds of his, my finger inside the wounds of his hand. All this unbelief, even after Jesus had done all the miracles and told them he was going to raise from the dead, went through the whole thing, but now they're facing the unbelievable. Maybe that's where you're at today. Can this story really be true? Could God really love me? Could Jesus really have died for me? Am, am I being delivered from hell and being put to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago? That is absolutely the message. Is it unbelievable? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I go to bed at night and think, you know what? This is almost impossible to believe if it weren't true. The history's there, the archaeology's there, the linguistics is there. And all those who have gone before us are there as witnesses. But Daniel says this. God told Daniel 500 years before Jesus came. He showed him what was going to happen at the end of time. So Daniel got to look at all the famines, the plagues, the wars. It's a horrible read if you want to read Daniel 11 and 12. Um, Daniel gets to see all down through history. And Daniel is so exhausted after he sees all that's coming, all the terror that's coming. This is what God says to Daniel. Daniel, close up the book. Seal it up. Seal up the words of the scroll until the time of the end. You can't handle this anymore. Many will go here and there to increase their knowledge. So what's going to happen at the end of time? An increase of knowledge. Not wisdom, knowledge. So we'll have a load of PhDs running around saying there's no God. We'll have a load of PhDs running around telling us that there's no resurrection. Listen, if there's a creator, what's so hard about a resurrection? That's why they've got to do everything in their power to eliminate a God, period. And they try to convince us that everything was created from nothing. Tough call. Let me show you what's happened. In 66 years, man learned how to fly. And 66 years later, we were putting a man on the moon. Would you say that's an advancement of knowledge? And the cell phone that you carry in your pocket has a hundred million more times the computation power than what they had to put this man on the moon. Would you say that's a proliferation of knowledge? So we are certainly at the end of time. Let me finish with this. I'm going to tell you a story about a painting at the Louvre. Does anybody know this story about the checkmate painting? I had four or five people. Good. Be new for all of you. It's fresh. Here's the painting that was in the Louvre. It is a picture of Satan playing chess against this man. The man's got his head in his hands uh, as if he's lost. And the, the title of the painting is Checkmate. By the way, in Persian, that's where it came from, the word checkmate means the king is dead. So there was a crew going through the Louvre one day and it was the chess master that was on the tour. And they went by and explained, you know, this is, uh, this is checkmate and this is Satan. And so they go on with the tour. And the man, the chess player stays there. And after a few more stops, he comes back and goes, hey man, we've, we've gone on. He goes, I know, but this painting fascinates me. He goes, I don't know if I told you, but I'm a master chess player. He's like, yeah, you mentioned that. And he goes, well, something's wrong here. He said, what do you mean something's wrong here? And the guy said, well, you know, I am a master chess player. He said, yeah, you, you mentioned that. He said, well, you either need to change the name of the painting 
or you need to change the painting. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the king has got one more move. Now, I want you to know something. You might have come in here today thinking my life is over. You might have been thinking about suicide. I want you to know that Jesus got one more move in your life. You might be thinking my marriage is done. I want you to know that the king's got one more move in your life. You might have been thinking, I don't think I can be saved. Oh yeah, Jesus has got one more move in your life. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to break this addiction of alcohol, drugs, pornography, greed, whatever it is. The king has got one more move. Listen, I don't know what you need. I don't know what it is. But I want you to know that Easter is a reminder that you can face grief, you can face death, you can face terror, you can face the unbelievable because you know the king has one more 